Christ is risen. That's right. That is the appropriate response. Christ is risen. Try it again. Amen. Uh, of course, today is Easter Sunday, and Christ is risen. Uh, this is the end of our Lenten journey, uh, which began uh, on Ash Wednesday. If you guys remember, I don't know how many of you guys were here for Ash Wednesday. We did a joint service with uh, Spirit of Joy here in this room. Um, and it's been 40 days of fasting, um, and today we break our fast. Today is the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ of the dead, the day that we celebrate that. And uh, it's the end of our fasting, and now we enter into 50 days of feasting. I kind of like that there's more days of feasting than there are of fasting. Um, that uh, seems right. Um, and so 50 days of feasting, Eastertide, um, Matt mentioned that uh, earlier. And, you know, lots of uh, accoutrements have developed around this holiday. Uh, we think of eggs. How many of you guys have hidden eggs already and found them, right? Eggs and bunnies and springtime and uh, pastels. Um, the Tebby family is particularly, none of them are here because they're all doing the kids' stuff, but they were, I just noticed they were particularly bright this morning, uh, bright colors. I don't have very many bright colors, so I wore my black again. <laughs> anyway, um, so Easter, right? It's this, uh, it, can, it can end up feeling to us like this kind of benign celebration of springtime and new life, and that kind of thing. But, um, but the, re- the gospel reading that we read today, I think, shows us a different story. Uh, because it ends kind of on this abrupt note that the women flee from the tomb, terrified and bewildered. Boom. And then, you know, it's like, okay, you know, the gospel of the Lord, praise be to you, Christ. So I apologize about that. Uh, I'm trying to figure out the sound stuff here. Um, but Easter isn't, isn't uh, as we saw in this gospel reading, it isn't, this, it isn't a tame holiday. Um, Easter proclaims this shocking, absurd almost hilarious claim that the world was irrevocably changed when a first century Jewish general contractor become itinerant prophet, was humiliated, tortured, and executed by the rich and powerful, and he was raised from the dead three days later. That's absurd, right? That's what we proclaim. The world has been changed. That this uh, Jewish prophet who was crucified, humiliated, tortured on a cross is actually the Lord of the universe. Because he was raised from the dead by God. That's what we proclaim today. And all by itself, uh, this it sort of seems like a weird carnival sideshow, right? Like, even if it was true, like, wow, that's weird. But why does it matter? What's going on here? Or maybe it feels like an awkward sort of afterthought. Like a, a weird happy ending to the real story, which was the atonement and how God worked out, you know, forgiving our sins on the cross. And then it's like, oh, well... And just to top it all off, Jesus rose from the dead, and everybody, was, everybody lived happily ever after. Um, now we can go to heaven when we die. Right? But that's not really what's going on here. Why is this so important to us? This is the central thing of our faith. This is the highest of holy days uh, for our faith, this, this thing that we celebrate today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But why? Why is it so important? Why do we affirm this? Every Sunday really is a little Easter. Why do we affirm it? Why do we affirm the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Um, and there's tons we could say about Easter, uh, which is my t- great temptation uh, when I get to preach on Easter, uh, is to preach for three hours and tell you everything I know about Easter. Um, but I'm going to restrain myself, thankfully for all of us. Yep, Joel's breathing a sigh of relief. Uh, because we, you know, we have ham. We got ham in the crock pot, so it's, you know, we got we to gotta get back to that. But here's, here's today what I want to focus on. Today we, we, we proclaim the good news that even though we are overwhelmed by confusion and fear, often, 
Nevertheless, Jesus Christ, the crucified one, is risen from the dead. Sin and death are defeated. New creation has burst forth upon the world, and we're part of it, no matter how we feel, no matter if we're terrified or confused. This is a fact. This happened, and we're part of it, no matter what. That's the good news. Uh, I've told this story before, so it'll feel familiar to some of you, but five years ago, um, I moved my family across the country to change the world. <laughs> uh, that's, that's really what kind of what was in my heart. That's the reason we did it. That's the reason we made the sacrifices uh, that we made. In order to do it, I, um, I was moving. We were moving to be part of a community and part of an organization that was doing important work, reforming the church. And I've always had this streak in me. I've always wanted to reform things. I've wanted, always wanted to change the world. I always wanted to kind of be part of doing something important. That's why I think, that's why I think when, uh, when my friends were all into like rap music, when I went to high school, I was into punk rock, right? There's just this little different streak in me where I wanted to like, I wanted to, I wanted to change things, right? Make this happen. And so we, we arrived, uh, we moved across the country, we arrived and we discovered this community had problems. It wasn't Shangri-La, um, of course, all communities have problems, um, but this one had fatal problems, uh, and we'd only been there a year when things started falling apart, um, and I remember it was almost exactly 15 months after we'd arrived there. After our morning prayers, we, all, we would gather. It was a Christian organization. We would gather, we would gather for morning prayer. We would, we would uh, I don't know what is going on with that sound there, guys, but... We're just going to have to keep going, endure. Um, so uh, after morning prayers, um, my, my boss came into my office. He sat down and he said, I'm sorry. I thought I'd be able to keep you on until for a few more months here until the end of the year. But I just can't make it work. This is the last month that I can give you a paycheck. And so uh, that, w- that was it for me. I felt like the dream was dead. I was like, okay, I'm not, <laughs> not going to change the world. Um, the dream was dead. I, you know, I, I thought of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You guys ever seen that, right? So from survival down at the bottom, just, you know, trying to survive, up, all the way up to self-transcendence. So I felt like in that moment I collapsed down from like, okay, we're going to be part of something that's going to change the world. We're part of this self-trans... I, I, was, I, was, I was achieving self-transcendence, right? And all of a sudden I have a month of income and I'm like, down, down to survival mode, down to, okay, we got a mortgage payment. What are we going to do? How are we going to make this work? Um, and in the end, almost everybody was fired. Uh, the community scattered to find employment, belonging, uh, purpose <laughs> elsewhere. And my big dreams of changing the world were coming crashing down around me. Now I, was, I wasn't part of this thing that was going to change the world. Now I was an unemployed father of four <laughs> with ministry experience, right? <laughs> um, uh, which, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't do much uh, on most people's uh, resumes. And uh, I, need, I had a mortgage payment in a month that I needed to figure out how to pay. Uh, the dream was dead more quickly than I imagined that it would be. And I didn't know what to do next. I was confused. Uh, I was angry. I was disillusioned. I was probably depressed. Um, I'm still working through a lot of the grief, uh, like today. I'm still working through a lot of the grief of that time. Um, and I, I just wonder if you've ever felt this way, if you've ever uh, committed. Maybe you didn't try to <laughs> go change the world, anything grandi- grandiose as, uh, as that. But uh, maybe you thought your career was going to go in a certain direction, kind of up and to the right, um, but you got downsized, and now you can't find work, and your sense of purpose and identity is lost. You're, you're not sure what you're doing with your life. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you had great friends in elementary school, but now that you're in junior high, um, the kids that you found to hang out with are petty, and they're mean, and, um, and you're lonely, and you wonder if there's something wrong with you. That's why they keep picking on you. 
Uh, maybe you hoped you'd be able to, parents, you hoped you'd be able to give your kids everything they need and, and you, would, you would be able to kind of provide for them every, everything that they need, but now they're teenagers and they're mad at you half the time and you're not sure why and you're trying to figure out if you went wrong somehow and if it, they're going to be okay and you worry if you're losing them. Or maybe you just have a vague sense of disappointment with your life. You thought you'd be further along by now in a certain area of your life. You thought things would be different for you. You thought you would have accomplished more. You look back on your life and you think, where did I go wrong? What happened? What happened to the dream? The dream is dead. But today we proclaim the good news that even though we're overwhelmed by confusion and fear often, Jesus Christ, the crucified one, is risen from the dead. Death and sin are defeated. God's new creation has burst forth upon the world, and we're part of it. That's what we're part of. Jesus' disciples uh, had this experience. They, they started following him because they thought they were going to change the world. That's what Jesus called them into. It wasn't, hey, come follow me and you can learn some interesting things. No, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. Every hope and dream that you've been dreaming about is coming to pass through me. Come and follow me. And they, were, they left their nets. They left the family business. They, they left everything that they had known in order to be part of this movement that was going to change the world. The kingdom of God was coming through this man, Jesus. He was raising the dead. He was healing the sick. He was casting out evil, evil uh, spirits from people's lives that were oppressing them. Uh, he was bringing uh, the poor and the, and the disenfranchised back into community. Jesus was establishing the government of God among the people. They were excited about this. They were part of this new political order, this new way of being human, uh, this new way of dealing with power in the world. And they, they knew it was headed for a conflict, right? They, they knew it was headed for a conflict. See, Jesus, Jesus wasn't just like a nice guy who did really nice things. Like, th that's not why he was killed, <laughs> right? No, people don't kill nice guys. They kill people. The powerful kill people who are a threat to their power. And Jesus' announcement of the kingdom of God was a direct threat to the rich, to the powerful, to those who held and hoarded these, these oppressive systems. Jesus said God's come to establish his government, his political order. And he was starting to enact that through his life. And that's why he came into conflict with these powers. But the disciples imagined that conflict going a different way than what, we've, than what we commemorated on Good Friday. They imagined a battle, a, a great and glorious battle, uh, just like all revolutionary moments, movements uh, have. They, they imagined this glorious battle with Jesus at the, at the front, sword in hand, ready to slay those wicked Romans who are oppressing the people. That's what they imagined. Yahweh, in the name of Yahweh, they were going to shut down the oppressors. They were going to kill God's enemies, establish God's kingdom of honor on earth. And, you know, sure, he'd started to say some strange things. This is from the disciples' point of view. They, he'd started to say some strange things. He started to say things like, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And they're like, yeah, you are. And he said, I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going to be raised on the third day. <laughs> And the disciples were like, oh, hold up, just back up. Back up just a little bit. What did you say about? And they, they, you know, he was saying some weird things, but I think the disciples, they had no way of understanding what was happening. And they just probably chalked it up to maybe he's got like a depressive streak. You know, like he, you know, maybe he's just succumbing to the insecurities that all leaders feel in their moment of ascendancy to the throne. Maybe he's just feeling depressed. Maybe there's a, maybe we need to help him out, kind of buck him up, cheer him up, you know, let's, 
let's go have a party. You know, Jesus, you seem like you're feeling down. So they, you know, that sure Jesus was kind of saying some weird things, but they didn't have any other imagination for how this thing was going to go when Jesus entered into Jerusalem as the triumphant king. They had, their imagination was, we're going to make Israel great again. We're going to conquer the oppressors. We're going to kick out these people who are making all these problems for us. And that was one week ago. That was Palm Sunday. It was celebrated last week. The crowds come to Jesus. Uh, they welcome Jesus as a king. This conflict was now starting to feel unavoidable. Right? The Romans were looking, the rich and powerful, the religious, they're, they're all kind of watching this happen, going like, the crowds are getting too excited about this, and we need to do something about this. That was the moment the disciples thought, okay, here we go. It's happening, right? And Maundy Thursday, right, Judas betrays Jesus, and the soldiers come, and the disciples do what? They take out their swords. They're like, here it is. The great battle has begun. But Jesus, Jesus does something inexplicable. He tells them, put away your swords. Stop this violence. He heals the wound of the guard who's been injured by the swords of the disciples. And he goes with them. And the disciples scatter. They flee. They're like, this isn't right. Something's gone wrong. The, wait, is, he gonna, is there a secret attack? Is something going to happen later? Is this like Return of the Jedi where Luke Skywalker looks like he's, he's going to jump into the Sarlacc pit? You guys know this? Is this too nerdy for you? But he looks like he's going to jump into the Sarlacc pit, right? And what happens at the last moment? Spoiler alert if you haven't seen Return of the Jedi, but you're too late. Right? He, he jumps off, but he turns around and he, like, grabs onto the, the, the what's it called? The diving board. <laughs> yes, the diving board. The plank, yeah. He's walking the plank. He t- grabs onto it. R2-D2 shoots him his lightsaber. And he grabs it in the midair and he j- lands and he starts slaying the wicked, right? He starts killing people left and right with his lightsaber. I don't, I, I, I don't know if the disciples imagine that. Like, maybe he's going to go into the heart of the enemy camp and then, you know, light, lightsaber them all to death. I don't know. But, of course, that, none of that happened. None of that happened. Jesus just went to his death. He, didn't, he barely even defended himself. And he's crucified there with two common criminals. The disciples are hiding. They're ashamed. They're afraid. They're terrified. It's, it's hard for us to imagine that because... You know, we know the end of the story. We know the resurrection. But they weren't guessing that. For them, the dream was dead. Holy Saturday for them. I mean, yesterday, you know, I, I saw a movie. I did some nice things. But Holy Saturday for them was devastating. The dream was dead. This was over. They were hoping they could go back and get a piece of the family business. They were hoping that the authorities were satisfied and they weren't going to come hunting them down now too. They'd gone back into survival mode trying to figure out what to do next. And the women, they'd barely had time uh, to, to anoint the body of Jesus. Um, they were devastated as well, the women we read about in this story you know, from our gospel reading. The crucifixion was utterly crushing to them because it confirmed their worst fears. That in the end, nothing changes. In the end, you can try to raise a movement to bring God's kingdom in, but... In the end, it's going to get squashed. The rich, the powerful, the religious, they're going to come down on this thing. And it's all going to end badly. And the best we can do is to try to figure out how to survive. You guys ever felt that way? Disappointed that life isn't like it should be, like you want it to be, like you hoped it would be? You're in good company. 
That's the women who come to the tomb on Easter morning. That's them. They don't know, they don't know what's going on. They're just coming back because they've taken the Sabbath. They're trying to honor God by keeping the Sabbath. And they're coming back to finish anointing his body, which was to apply these spices to make it stink less, basically. But, you know, this is the Middle East. It's Palestine. The place is hot. I can imagine they were getting ready to walk into a stinky mess. This was devotion for these women to get up early in the morning on Sunday and come to the tomb. And they're just ready to kind of try to process some of their grief and put things away and make things happen. Uh, but, of course, they're surprised. Okay, how, how, they think, how, how are we going to roll away the stone? And they find, oh, the stone's rolled away. What is going on? They come in to the tomb, and the body of Jesus is missing. And there's a young man sitting there dressed in white, and they're alarmed. This is a word uh, that only Mark uses, and it's, it, it's not just like, ha, ah, you scared me. Uh, this, word, this word refers to, like, this deep sense of dread. Like, if you've ever watched, like, a really good horror movie, like, the sense of dread that you feel around every corner. That's what this word refers to. And so they're, they're horrified about what's happening. Isn't that interesting? Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. This is the hinge point of all history, and it's announced to them. Hey, don't be alarmed. Jesus Christ is not here. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was crucified? Well, he's not here. He is not here. He's been raised from the dead. There's this beautiful proclamation of good news to the women. But what's their response to it? Confusion, horror, bewilderment, fear, terror. They don't know what to make of this. It's already happened, but they don't know what to make of it. And so they run from the tomb, terrified and afraid. And the angel commissions them despite their terror. He commissions them, go and tell his disciples and Peter, meet me in Galilee. I'll, I'll meet you there, just like we said. Look, you remember the plan we made? Still on. It's still on. But the women run away uh, terrified and confused. And so we proclaim today this good news that even though we are overwhelmed by confusion and fear, nevertheless, Jesus Christ, the crucified one, is risen from the dead. Sin and death are defeated. New creation has burst forth upon the world, and we're part of it, even in, our, even in our bewilderment, even in our confusion, even in our terror, our fear, our unbelief even. We're part of it. We're still part of it. The angel still says, here, you got a job. You're part of this. Go tell them. I find that deeply comforting. I mean, like, because I don't feel overwhelmed, uh, overwhelming joy every time I think about the resurrection. I didn't feel overwhelming joy this week preparing for this sermon, right? I wish I did, but I didn't. I felt a little anxious about it. I didn't get enough time to work on it. But I found this deeply comforting that the women who are bewildered and confused, it, but that doesn't change the fact. The resurrection has taken place. Sin and death are defeated. God's new creation has burst in upon the world and we're part of it, no matter how we feel about it. I take comfort in that because it's easy for me to get lost in sadness and grief. When I, when I come to the place of my devastation and when I, when, I, when I come to that place and I say, I got to process something here. I feel sad. I have to process something. It's easy for me to get lost in that. I'm not, and this is just me. Like I'm not used to feeling those feelings. I'm learning how to feel those feelings. And so for me, it's like when I feel them, it's easy for me to feel overwhelmed by them and get lost in them. But the good news is, no matter, when I, no matter if I feel overwhelmed, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. 
New creation has burst forth upon the world. Sin and death are defeated, and I'm part of it. Even when I feel terrified, even when I feel confused, I'm part of it. And the good news here uh, is that, <clears throat> notice the angel says, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. You're looking for him. You're looking for the crucified one. And I want, to, I want to link these two things together because I think it's important. The crucified one is the resurrected one, and the resurrected one is the crucified one. All by themselves, neither one makes sense. The crucifixion without the resurrection is just another tra tragedy, just another travesty of justice. But the resurrection without the, without the crucifixion is just an interesting, weird thing that God did. But it's the crucified one who is the resurrected one. And so this isn't, this isn't just a magic trick that God pulls. This is God saying, I'm going to rearrange the way that the world works now. And now, even though we were probably expecting to find God in the miraculous, we would expect God to find God in a glorious resurrection. We would expect God there when God answers all our prayers and when everything is great and everything is awesome and everything is good. Where we don't often expect God is in the crucifixion is in the carrying out of injustice, is in our sadness and our sorrow and our grief, the overwhelming feeling that we have when we're underneath our own pain. But because the crucified one is the resurrected one, God is forever saying, that's actually where you find me now. That's where you find me. I bring resurrection out of crucifixion. I bring new life out of pain, suffering, sorrow. That's where I bring it out of. And so we don't have to fear going back to the tomb to confront our grief. We don't have to fear going back there because that's now the place where God meets us. The crucified one is the resurrected one. And now forever God meets us in our pain. He meets us in our darkest place. That's where he meets us. God is present and it worked there somehow to bring about resurrection even when we can't fathom how. We can't understand how it, could, how it could possibly be that God was present with me then. That God is present with me now. In my sorrow and in my grief. We can't understand how that could possibly be, but that is the truth. Because we have a God who identifies with the humiliated and the broken. With the victims of oppression and systematic injustice. State-sanctioned violence. We have a God who would rather die in the name of love than kill in the name of freedom. And in my grief and terror, God identifies with me. He knows because he went down into it. He went down into it. But the good news is because he went down into it, he went down into death and he, he kind of punched a hole up through it and went out the other side through resurrection and he beckons with us. He beckons us in. But we have to go into the hole first. We have to go into death in order to find the resurrection. We have to meet God in the place of our deepest devastation in the place of our deepest sorrow, because that's where we come out the other side. And now our hurts become the home for our greatest hopes. Our hurts can become the home for our greatest hopes. We're oftentimes like this, the women. We, we, we don't know what's going on, <laughs> right? Uh, we get lost inside of our own pain. We get lost inside of our own grief. And so oftentimes, even when we hear a word of good news, like the angel proclaims to the women, we hear a, good, a word of good news, it doesn't even sound like good news to us. We're just terrified. We're just hearing 
something that we, we can't possibly comprehend or understand. It feels confusing and frustrating, bewildering. Uh, but these, these places where we feel this way, these aren't distractions from you living your best life now. They aren't things to be discarded and say, you know, i got to get back to get positive thoughts, positive thoughts. That's not it. Those are the places we meet with God. That's where we meet him. He's waiting for us there in the midst of those sorrows, in the midst of our terror. And right in that place, God meets us. He proclaims resurrection to us, no matter if we can understand it or not, no matter if we comprehend what's happening or not, but he proclaims resurrection to us. And then he invites us to be part of it. He gives us a job. I love that part of it. Jesus is constantly, and the angels after the resurrection, they're constantly giving people jobs. They're giving commands. It's fascinating. It's not like, hey, I'm back. Let's have a party. No, it's I'm back. Go and tell the disciples. Wait for me in Jerusalem. There's commands. Jesus is saying, I've been raised from the dead. You're part of it, which means we got work to do. You've got work to do. And he commissions us in the midst of that. So today we proclaim this good news, that even though we're overwhelmed by confusion and fear, nevertheless, Jesus Christ, the crucified one, is risen from the dead. Sin and death are defeated. New creation has burst forth upon the world, and we're part of it. Amen? Leslie Newbigin, uh, who was a uh, missiologist um, and missionary uh, in the 60s, Uh, He was asked one time whether he was optimistic or pessimistic about the future of the church. What would you guys say to that question? Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future of the church? Optimistic. That's great. Thank you, Sean. That's good. Because I oftentimes don't feel that way. I look around, right? Uh, But Leslie Newbigin's answer was fascinating. He said, uh, I believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Therefore, the question never arises. Isn't that great? Are you optimistic or pessimistic? I don't need to be optimistic or pessimistic. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. The question doesn't arise. When it comes to a fact, you, can only, you can't be optimistic or pessimistic about a fact. You can only be believing or unbelieving about a fact. And so we proclaim today the fact of the resurrection. And this, uh, I want to invite us into uh, responding to this. Um, and we're going to respond first in song. Uh, and, and to set this up, you know, Mark's gospel abruptly here. There's a longer ending, but most scholars agree that this, is, this was almost certainly added later uh, because it was so awkwardly ended. You know, the women ran away terrified, and they said nothing because they were afraid, right? Um, and so scholars vary on, like, was this intended to be Mark's ending to his gospel, or was there something else that we've lost, or something else he intended to write? Did he get cut off in the middle of the sentence? Who knows? My personal opinion is that there was something more he wanted to say, but he didn't get a chance to. But I think the abrupt ending gives us an invitation. It's an interesting opportunity for us to write the end of the story today. For us to say, hey, we're the women. We're at the tomb. We heard the good news. We feel devastated. We feel confused. We heard the good news, but we still, we're not sure what we think about it. But obviously the women decided to speak up eventually, didn't they? Because now we know about the resurrection. And we've got the church because of those first women who proclaimed, who preached the gospel to the disciples. And so because of that, I want us to just invite us into writing the rest of the story uh, together. Um, because we, we're like the women. We, we hear good news, but we're not sure what to make of it. So I want to ask, are you bewildered today? Are you terrified <laughs> about something? 
Maybe you've, maybe you've just brought home a new baby and you think, how am I going to do this, right? Maybe. I'm just saying hypothetically. That might be a situation that some of us are dealing with. Um, you're in good company if you're bewildered, if you're terrified today. And you're qualified to believe and proclaim the gospel today. So what will you do? Will you proclaim this good news that you barely understand? The good news that feels terrifying and bewildering? Will you venture into it? Will you try it out? Will you take a gander? Will you risk it? Will you dare to meet Jesus in the midst of your deepest pain? Will you announce the resurrection of Jesus? Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Amen. Yes. Sorry, I didn't wait for your response there. Um, so let's do this. Would you stand with me? And our, our response today, uh, we normally have a prayer response that we pray together, but our response today is going to be singing together a song that may be new to some of you. But we're going to proclaim this uh, together um, as an act of faith. Uh, and then we're going we're to proclaim our faith together through the creed, uh, and then we're going to pray uh, for the world together. Uh, but I want to I invite you into this by, um, uh, by proclaiming, this is the Easter homily of St. John of uh, Chrysostom. Uh, so let this be the invitation to you to come and to proclaim the resurrection through this song together. Enter, all of you, into the joy of our Lord. First and last, receive your reward together. Rich and poor, dance together. Those of you who have fasted and those of you who have not fasted, rejoice today. The table is fully spread. Let all enjoy it. The calf is fatted. Let no one go away hungry. He has destroyed death by suffering death. He has pillaged hell by descending into hell. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, death, where is your victory? Christ is risen and you are thrown down. Christ is risen and the demons have fallen. Christ is risen and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life reigns in freedom. Christ is risen and no one is left dead in the grave. For Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. To him be glory and dominion now and forever. Amen. Let's sing together. Thank you.